begin this Lord's Day, I would ask you to open up in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, and as you were doing so, to stand for the reading of God's Word. We have finally made it to the last chapter of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. We only have really a couple of more weeks, and for those of you that are curious, after we conclude with Ephesians, we are going to spend four weeks uh, in a sermon series through the prophet Obadiah. So if you don't know where that is, I'm giving you a couple of weeks' notice where you can uh, familiarize yourself with where the prophet Obadiah is in your Bibles. Trust me, he's tucked away in there. Let me read in your hearing this morning from Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to look at just the first four verses this morning. This is the word of God. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And thus ends this reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. You may be seated. There's a saying in our house, one that is designed to help Oakley understand the ranks. I'll ask her, who's the boss? And she'll answer, God is. And then I'll ask her, who's the little boss? And she'll say, Daddy is. Something else that we'll do usually before I head off to work for the morning is, is I'll say something like this, Sweetheart, remember, honor your father and your mother today, especially your mother. And we do things like this because we want her to see her place in the world. Children need to understand that they are children. And children need to understand that the world does not revolve around them. And children also need to understand that they have certain responsibilities. And at the same time, as parents, we also have certain expectations of our children, don't we? And the, and the idea to see here is that the responsibilities that children have and the expectations that parents have, well, they both really revolve around one single word. And that one single word is the word obedience. Now, as we open up chapter 6 of Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, and specifically this morning, his teaching regarding the family, we want to be ever careful not to divorce this from what has come before. I take this opportunity to remind you that, that the chapter divisions that you have in your Bible, they are not inspired by God. Now, they, they've been added to help us navigate our Bibles, which is an altogether good thing. That way, when I say, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 6, you know that's right after Ephesians 5. But these chapter divisions, again, they're not put there by God. And I say that because sometimes we find ourselves dividing up things that ought to be left together. And so what I want you to understand is that here in chapter 6, it is intimately wed to chapter 5. Let me explain very quickly. You may remember back in Ephesians chapter 5. You may remember that Paul was teaching us what it looks like for you and I, Ephesians 5.18, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I would just say sort of in passing, notice that in Ephesians 5, in this idea of being filled with the Spirit, there's no mention of levitating in the corner, right? There's, there's nothing about speaking in tongues 
or having esoteric visions or, or God somehow audibly speaking to you. No, you don't find any of that. In fact, what you do find is actually, dare I say, very ordinary. Paul teaches them, and by that he teaches us, that, that life in the Spirit, well, it actually looks like encouragement, like worship, like gratitude, like submission. We encourage one another in the Christian life. We worship God together. We're thankful to God, and we submit to God, and we submit to one another. That, according to Scripture, is the evidence of the Spirit's filling in us. Now, that idea of submitting to one another, again, if you look back at Ephesians 5.21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, that idea of submitting to one another, it is then fleshed out in what follows. Maybe we could say it like this. The principle is submission... Well, then, what does that look like in practice? And Paul answers. You remember from last week in Ephesians 5, 22 through 33, Paul tells us that that looks like wives submitting to their husbands. Next week, when we look at Ephesians 6, 5 through 9, we'll see that it means bond servants submitting to their masters. And this week we are going to learn that children are to submit to their parents. But again, what I want you to see is that this is all, it's all building off of and it's all flowing out of Ephesians 5.21 and this idea of submitting to one another. So as you and I as a church this morning prepare to dig into the text that is in front of us, I, I do want to, here on the front end, just give you a real quick overview of how we're going to go after this passage. Let me give you sort of the big ideas, and then you can know where we're going. First, we're going to look at the rule, and then the reasons, and then after that, we're going to look at responsibility, and then finally, we'll spend some time with some reflections. So that's a little map for our road trip this morning. Rule, reason, responsibility, and reflections. When it comes to the rule, I want to begin by saying this. Children, listen up. Listen up if you are a child here this morning. And the reason that you must listen up this morning is because God's word is specifically directed to you this morning. Right? God has something to say to the kiddos. So kids, look in your Bibles right now. If you don't have a Bible with you, lean over and look in dad and mom's Bible. If, if you're not old enough to read yet, then, then grab on dad or mom's shirt and say, show me on the page. Mom and dad, point it out to your little ones. This is what God says to you, kids. Verse 1, children, obey your parents. So the rule is for children to obey. Now, when it comes to obeying, we would do well to note how Paul changes words here in his instruction to children. Remember, back in Ephesians 5.22, his instruction to wives is what? Wives, submit to your own husbands. 
But here, the call is not to submit, but to obey. And that verb obey here in Ephesians 6, it's actually a stronger verb than the verb submit. Wives are nowhere called to obey their husbands. They're to submit. But children are called to obey. And I think this not-so-subtle shift, it reveals something of the differences in relationship that exist, right? But we could think of it like this. The marriage relationship is something of a dance. The husband is to lead. The wife is to follow. And if the husband doesn't lead well, if the wife doesn't follow well, then, then toes are going to be squished on the dance floor, Right? With a parental relationship, it's different. It's not so much a dance as it is work. Let me explain. Dad and mom are the boss, and children are the workers. And the bosses give commands and give instructions, and they are expected to be followed. So, kiddos, and and again, I, I really hope you're still paying attention. What God requires is your obedience, but not merely your obedience. What do I mean? Well, kids, you can obey with a happy heart and a good attitude, or you can obey with a sad heart and a bad attitude. And you just have to know that one of those is true obedience and the other is a fake obedience. We're going to say it this way. Children, you are called to obey your parents from your hearts. So, for example, when mom says, honey, it's time to pick up your toys, you can pick them up. And all the while be mad and sassy about it and complain about the whole thing. And at the end of it, you might say, hey, the toys are all picked up. Wrong. I mean, it's true the toys might be in the toy box, but your heart and attitude are all wrong. Kids, you do not want to be like that little boy who was told to go sit in the corner. And as he went and sat in the corner, he advertised, I might be sitting down on the outside, but on the inside I'm standing up. That's not what true obedience looks like. And it's not pleasing to God either. Let me think of it this way. Just as Christ obeyed his father with a happy heart and a good attitude, and died on a cross to forgive you of your sins... Well, so children, you ought to obey your parents with a happy heart and a good attitude. Let me also add, it, we would be wrong at this point to think that this rule in Ephesians only applies to tiny people. The fifth commandment, which is what Paul is quoting there in verse 2, you have to understand, it doesn't expire when you get to middle school. In fact, the particular word that Paul uses in verse 1 for children, it doesn't necessarily indicate small kids. The term is actually much broader, and it refers really to what we would call today 
early elementary age to the late teen years and even the early 20s. So the point is, teenagers and and young adults, you too are called to obey your parents. Just as we don't graduate from the gospel, neither do we graduate from the fifth commandment. Sure, we get older, we get married, our lives change, and and how this whole thing gets worked out, it's going to look a little bit different. That's altogether true. But whether you are five or 15 or 25 or 50, you are still called to honor your father and mother. We, We don't outgrow this stuff. So that's the rule. Again, children, you are to obey your parents. But it's not just one of those because I said so moments, right? If you're a child, you've heard this. If you're a parent, you've said this. Just do this. Why? Because I said so. And there's nothing wrong with that if you're a parent. But, but what Paul is doing for us here is like, it's more than that. It's not less than that, but it's more. Scripture tells us there's actually good reason to obey, for children to obey parents. And Paul actually gives us three such reasons. The first reason children should obey their parents is found at the end of verse 1. Children, obey your parents. Why? What does it say? For this is right. For this is right. In other words, it just makes sense, doesn't it? This is how God has ordered the world. Children, your parents are your parents. And they are your parents because God has put them in your life as your parents. And I know as you children get older, particularly as you get into those sort of teenage years, you're going to sort of cringe when you hear this. But believe it or not, your parents know you better than you know yourself. And they have authority over you. And they have an authority over you that has been given given to them by God himself. So what Paul is saying to you children is, it is right for you to obey your parents. Kids, this is going to mean something. It's going to mean that you're going, to, you're going to hear things that you don't like from your parents. I know that's a big shocker to you. Kids, you're going to hear stuff like this. No, you cannot have ice cream for breakfast. You're going to hear, yes, you have to put clothes on if you want to go play outside. You're going to hear, no, you can't bury your sister in the backyard. No, you can't throw rocks at cars. Yes, you need to look both ways. No, you you cannot wear that to school. That's a Halloween costume. Yes, you do need to eat your broccoli. (laughs) Pray for us. As you get older, your obedience is going to look a little bit different, but it will be obedience nonetheless. Teenagers, you're going to start to hear stuff like this. No, you cannot stay out that late. Yes, you do have to get up that early and cut the grass. No, you are not mature enough for a smartphone. Yes, you have permission to pursue that young lady. 
or no. You do not have permission to date that young man. I hope what you're seeing is that, that whether we're talking about tiny people or kiddos or teenagers or young adults, God's word to us is that he would have us to obey our parents. And the reason, Scripture says, is because this is just right. Your parents are your parents not by accident, but design. Sovereign, providential design. God knew what he was doing when he gave you the dad and mom that he gave you. But Paul's not done. He says, let me give you a second reason. He says, verse 2, honor your father and your mother, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you. Now just, just real quick, notice how in verse 1, children are called to obey, and then in verse 2, children are called to honor their parents. Just notice that honoring and obeying are being used almost as synonyms here. So kids, you want to honor your parents? Obey them. Kids, you want to obey your parents? Then treat them with honor. Back to the reason, though. Paul says, first, you should obey your parents because it is right. And then second, and here he's quoting from the fifth commandment, that it may go well with you. So children, step back for a moment. Do you want it to go well with you? And all of us have an instinct of self-preservation. And God says, good, then obey dad and obey mom. Do what they say. And if you do what they say, children, life will be easier, and it will be better, and it will be blessed if you would but hear and heed your parents. There's still a third reason, though. And this is building upon the second. It's found there at the end of verse 3. And that you may live long in the land. So again, children, step back. Do, do you want to live long? Do you want to experience prosperity and blessing? Do you want the favor of God to rest upon you? Well, then son or daughter, honor your father and mother. Obey them, God says. And with it, a tsunami of God's blessing will wash over you. Kids, that is God's promise to you. Now, in all of this talk about it going well with you and, and you living long in the land, we, we need to have eyes to see two truths simultaneously. On the one hand, Paul is making the general point that God's promised blessings will not rest upon the disobedient. We have to understand this. God really does bless his people, and he really does pour out gifts upon us. Please hear this. Not just in heaven, but also here and now. In fact... That's one of the motivations for obedience here, isn't it? God offers you good things, kids, if you would obey your parents. It's true that God gives us forgiveness, and he gives us heaven, and he gives us eternal life, and he gives us these gifts all by grace and by grace alone in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That's all true. 
but recognize that God also gives us different blessings here and now, if and when we obey him. On the other hand, we have to be careful in how we apply this truth. Because like the Proverbs, this is a general principle. This is how the world sort of generally works. But there are also exceptions, aren't there? You can't just draw a straight line. You know what I mean? You can't look at someone who is material or temporally blessed and just assume that they obeyed their parents. Neither can you look at someone who is in the dumps and just assume that they trashed their parents. The math is rarely that simple. But generally speaking, God's ways are blessed. And generally speaking, curses are found when we disobey God. So, Christian, you should expect God's blessing when you honor and obey your parents. But you also have to resist the temptation that we all have to sort of treat God like a vending machine. Which means that in a lot of ways we come full circle. This goes back to the fact that we are called upon to obey God and obey dad and obey mom from the heart. From the heart. All right, kids, you can take a little bit of a break. That's God's word to you. That's the rule. And then he gives three reasons why you should obey. But, but notice how quickly Scripture shifts gears. Scripture shifts gears because God now has a word for fathers. So, children, you can take a break, go back to your coloring. Dads, put down your color crayons. Now it is your turn to listen up. What is your responsibility in all of this? And the answer is twofold. Fathers, you have something you are not to do, and you have something you are to do. What you are not to do is found in verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. I'm going to read that just one more time because it really is critical for us fathers. We are told, do not provoke your children to anger. And, and just to be clear, that idea of provoking, it, it has to do with causing someone, in this case your children, to become angry. Which means that fathers we must at this point tread carefully. It is incumbent upon you, Christian father, to exercise great care and compassion with your children. You must be ever sensitive to them. You have to be wise and tender in how you fathers interact with your children, especially when it comes to how you discipline your children. Kent Hughes warns us, we are not to provoke our children to the point that they begin to seethe with resentment and irritation like sap swelling in a tree on a hot summer day. What this means for dads is that we are flatly prohibited from a whole litany of vices that we are ever prone toward. 
You understand, don't you? That command in verse 4, again, do not provoke your children to anger. That command is pregnant with caution and warning. It means, dads, that when we relate to our children, we are forbidden from overly harsh words, excessively severe discipline, insults, and sarcasm. Likewise, fathers, you must be careful to avoid unreasonably harsh demands, demeaning comments, or any and all abuse of authority. Fathers, you are prohibited from inappropriate teasing, arbitrariness, unfairness, inconsistency, favoritism, unreasonable demands, and constant nagging. All of this is ruled out by verse 4. And all of it is ruled out because all of it is sin. And because it is sin, it must be repented of. So let me just say, Father, if you are guilty of any of this, then you must do the easy work of going before the Lord and asking for forgiveness. And then you must do the hard work of humbling yourself before your children and asking for their forgiveness. This is what fathers do. When fathers sin, they go before their children and they confess their sins to them, and they ask for forgiveness. And you have to understand, fathers, that when you do this, you are actually modeling for your children the good news of the gospel. I I say it's the hard work. It's hard, isn't it, to humble yourself before your wife or before your your children? But but it it is the road to blessing. It is the road to grace. You have to go before your children, and you have to say, I am sorry. I have sinned against you. I should never have called you that mean name. I lost my patience, and it was sin. Will you forgive me, please? And then we rejoice with our children that there is forgiveness to be had. And so we tell them, we we look them in the eyes and we say, thankfully there is forgiveness to be found in Jesus Christ. You say, daddy is a sinner too, and I need God's grace just like you do. And little son or little daughter, that grace is found in the very blood of Jesus Christ. Honey, Jesus is more than enough for me, and Jesus is more than enough for you. And so run to Jesus, just like Daddy, and find Christ, a perfect Savior for you. That's what fathers do. Fathers are not to provoke their children to anger. But they are supposed to do something. And you find that answer in the middle of verse 4. But, notice the contrast, do not do this, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. 
So, so this is part and parcel to your calling, dads. You are, again, verse 4, to bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is your job description. And because this is your job description, let's make sure that we have a good handle on it. Those two words, discipline and instruction, there is a ton of overlap between those two words. To the point that there are quite a few scholars who think that these words, in effect, mean the same thing. If there is a difference to be found, the first word discipline, it has the sense of a comprehensive education or training. Don't read discipline there in verse 4 as punishment or chastisement. That's not the idea. It's more like being disciplined to learn the rules of baseball so you can enjoy it and understand it. The second word, instruction, it is just a little bit more narrow, and it seems to point to how this training takes place through verbal admonition and correction. So, in other words, this is how fathers instruct their children. Exhortations, warnings, rebukes. So those are the marching orders. From God's word, what is in front of us this morning, fathers, is that we are to exercise discipline and instruction. But zoom out for a moment, and as you do, use the, use the wide-angle lens. Because what this is all revolving around is the Lord. So return your eyes again to verse 4. Fathers, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So fathers, what is your job? And the answer is, you were to be teaching your children, you were to be disciplining and instructing them in the central truths of the Christian faith. You were not to be content with merely just sort of passing on to your children some information or some factoids about this, that, or the other. No, you are to be, if, if we can use this language, you are to be molding and, and giving and shaping your children. You're, you're to be handing to them a world view. That's your job. Consider how God put it all the way back in Deuteronomy 6. Remember, remember those familiar words? God said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And then God went on to say, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Okay? That, that's God's words to the adults, to the parents. Very next verse in Deuteronomy 6. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit down in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. In other words, fathers, you are called upon by God to immerse your children into the very truths of God. For your children to thrive, they have to know that they are made in God's image and that they live in God's world, and that they are under God's authority, and that they have been created by God to glorify Him, and they have to know how to glorify Him. It's your job to teach them of God's Word, and of God's works, and of God's ways. 
It is your job, again, to return to verse 4, to bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And what I hope you're feeling at this point, especially you fathers, is that this is a high and noble calling. It's tragic that there are some fathers out there who spend more time memorizing sports stats than they do actually training their children. Church, as we've seen thus far, you looked at the rule and the reasons and the responsibility. I hope you've seen that at some level we have, we have mined the hill of Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, and I trust we found some gold. What, what I want to do now as we sort of conclude our time in the Word together is, is I want to offer a few reflections from this passage, four to be exact. And I offer them to you in no particular order. And I offer them to you for your encouragement. And I offer them to you for your meditation. And and ultimately, I offer them to you for your sanctification. So here we go. First first reflection. God's law. And specifically what I mean here is the law of God and its abiding relevance for the Christian. It's no shock to say that we live in an antinomian age. To speak of the law to a Christian, it's, it's liable to cause him or her to break out in hives. The modern evangelical is prone to say, grace, 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 not law. It's gotten to the point that many Christians today would even rebuke the Apostle Paul. and say, the law has no place in the life of the Christian. Paul, who do you think you are? You can't just quote the Ten Commandments to the church and expect us to obey them. But that idea, of course, is foreign to the Apostle Paul. According to him, the moral law of God, what what we call the Ten Commandments, it is included in and part of the New Covenant. This is why Paul can so freely quote the law of God here to the church. Again, that's what verses 2 and 3 are. Verses 2 and 3 are a quotation of Exodus 20:12 and Deuteronomy 5:16. He is quoting to them the fifth commandment. Now, lest there be any misunderstanding, I want to make sure to go on record and say this, we are not redeemed by our law-keeping far from it. We're Christians. We know this. Our salvation is found in one place and one place only, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. It is His law-keeping that merits for us righteousness. It is His sin-satisfying death on the cross that takes away all our sin. It is His triumphant resurrection that secures our resurrection. It is His present intercession that guarantees our perseverance. And it is His future return that gives us present hope. And we lay hold of this Christ and we lay hold of all of these gospel blessings by faith and by faith alone. They don't come to us with one iota of our supposed law-keeping. But none of this means 
that the law of God has no place in the life of the Christian. To which you protest. But if not for our salvation, then what is the point of the law? Listen to how the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith puts it. We read, the uh, true believers are not under the law as a covenant of works to be justified or condemned by it. Yet, it is very useful to them and to others, hear this language, as a rule of life that informs them of their will... uh, uh, Start again. As a rule of life that informs them of the will of God and their duty. In other words... The law of God shows us how to live and love as Christians. But the law doesn't make us Christians. Only Christ makes us Christians. But after we become Christians, to use the language of the confession, the law then becomes our rule of life. Maybe think of it this way. You've no doubt heard that love fulfills the law. And that's absolutely true. But while love fulfills the law, the law fills out love. The law shows us how we are to love God and how we are to love one another. So the law has a central place in the life of the Christian. Let me offer a second reflection now. And that is God's house. Let me ask... What is implied here in Ephesians 6 when it comes to God's house? Well, among other things, it is assumed, is it not, that children would be present to hear the word of God. To press a little bit further, Ephesians 6 is in, and its instruction to children, it assumes that children are present in the sanctuary for worship to hear the reading of God's word, and to receive its teaching. Let me just say it one more time, a bit more polemically, to see if I can get an email tomorrow morning. Ephesians 6 is not addressed to Sunday school teachers, junior high leaders, or high school pastors. Ephesians 6 is directed to the church. And the assumption is that children will be gathered with the rest of the congregation in the worship service. That's how the church has gathered for 1,950 years. That in itself should cause us to pause. So let me encourage you parents who have young children. I recognize And we all recognize that it is a lot of work to have little ones in here with you. I get that. We all get that. But your labor is not in vain. And if you've got little ones, you know this. Little kids are like sponges. And they just soak up everything that is going on around them. With that in mind, consider this. Where else, literally... In all of the world, where, where else in all of the world will your children see you doing what you do here for an hour and a half? 
Let me be specific. Where else will they see you stand for the reading of God's word? Where else will they hear the congregation sing God's praises? Where else will they see you and those around them confess their sins out loud? Where else in all of the world will they watch you and everybody around them bow their head in prayer? Where else will they watch you open God's word as it is preached? Where else will our little ones see the Lord's Supper observed? Which will no doubt provoke questions. What is it? Why are you doing it? Why can't I do it? For real. Is there anything else that happens in all of your life where your children will experience this? And the answer is no. You realize that we are living in an evangelicalism here in the West where you have got kids that have grown up in the church and they are 30 years old before they actually worship with God's people? And that's because they're thrown in the nursery and then they're thrown in elementary Bible class and it's all separated and then they go to middle school and then they go to high school class and then they go to a college age group and then they go to like a young marriage group or they go to a singles group then they go to a young mom with kids group and and they're like 30 years old before they actually come together with God's people. It's tragic. It's tragic. And specifically fathers, everything that I just mentioned, from from the standing of reading God's word to why your three-year-old is not partaking of the Lord's Supper, they're going to ask questions. Use this, fathers, as opportunities to teach your children. And trust that in all of this, even though it's hard, even though kids are having to be walk out with moms and dads are in the back bouncing kids and there might be a little one behind you that's fussing and you're going, ah, welcome to life. Welcome to God's house. And trust in this, that the seed that is sown in their little hearts now will by God's grace one day bring forth a harvest of righteousness in the future. We are sowing into the lives of our kids. Even if you don't have kids, again, you're confessing your sins. You are singing God's prayer. You are sowing into their lives. Let me mention a third reflection. That's God's man. Notice that while children are to obey their parents in verse 1, it's fathers who are singled out in verse 4. It's fathers, we are told, who have the unique privilege and responsibility to bring up their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So fathers, let me encourage you. Let me challenge you. And perhaps let me rebuke you a little. Passivity on this front is not an option. This is not something, fathers, that you can phone in or sub out. God has said that this is your calling. You are supposed to be busy and eager discipling your kids. I get them, we get them for an hour and a half a week. You live with them. You are supposed to be discipling your kids. 
So here's my encouragement, and it's birthed from, again, Deuteronomy 6 and God's word there about diligently teaching your children and talking to them about God's law. The text says when you sit down in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise, all right? We would simply say today when you're driving around in the car, when you are eating supper at the table, when you're doing family worship on the couch, whatever it is, the point is when you are living life, here's the encouragement, fathers, redeem the time redeem the time when you wake up tomorrow morning and you're walking your children out to wherever you're walking them and you hear the birds chirping redeem the time what you are hearing little Susie is God's birds praising him for this new morning redeem the time redeem the time in how you discipline them in how you treat their mother in front of them, in how you talk about your boss when they are around. Fathers, you must redeem the time. It will take blood and sweat and tears, but God's man will disciple his children. And if you have questions, if you have any questions, Grab me, grab one of the other pastors, grab somebody with gray hair or no hair. They'll know how to do it. <laughs> Ask for help. Finally, last reflection is God's promise. This is going to make a little, some of us a little bit uncomfortable. That's okay. Don't miss the fact that God motivates children here to obey by promising them blessing for their obedience. Quoting from the law, Paul says, Honor your father and your mother, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. And then there's that parenthetical statement in verse 2. This is the first commandment with a promise. So Paul's point is that there is reward here. There's a blessing that is promised. According to the law and according to the Apostle Paul, God can and God does motivate us to obey by promising us prosperity. We, do, we just have to have a, a, a category for that in our theological toolbox. So let me conclude with two very brief exhortations. The first is to the children. Obey your parents. This is God's will for you. And then the second exhortation is to the parents. Pour into your kids. Again, this is God's will for you, especially for you fathers. Remember, kids are like wet cement. We have a short time to shape them and to mold them. So let's get to work. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the joy of our hearts that it is to gather in God's house and to hear signs, uh, the, the sounds of babies and little ones making noise. We thank you that it is evidence of your blessing upon homes and your blessing upon this church. And we pray that you would give us many, 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 many more little image bearers. We pray that these kids would grow up hearing your word on uh, the mother of Lois and grandmother of Eunice's lap. We pray that fathers would take responsibility. We pray that as a church, we would be supportive of families, particularly young families. 
We pray that in all of this, whether we're dads, moms, grandmas, grandpas, little ones, Lord, we pray that we would be those who rely entirely upon Christ. We find our salvation not in how good of parents we are, how bad of parents we are, how many kids we have or how many kids we don't have. All of our hope and life is found in Christ. And so as we rest in him, may you fill us with your spirit that we would be the men and women, little and old, that you've called us to be. In the name of Christ, we offer these prayers. Amen.